You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hi folks, Sean opening the episode this time. We continue our discussion with David Finn of Bridge Distribution and Fulfillment. Make sure to check out the show notes for the first part. And in this episode, we cover things like discounting your pledges alongside covering some things that publishers need to know when partnering with distributors. Hope you find it helpful. And without any more delay, let's jump into the episode. There's this very uh, altruistic mindset that I think takes over designers where they they say, you know, I want to see this beautiful thing that I made enter the world. And, and at the same time, they feel that, you know, and it's perpetuated that you can't make money really in this space. And people will look at like, you know, well, if you wanted to make money, you should have been a rocket scientist or whatever, right? Um, like yeah. a, a programmer and work for Riot Games or something. You have to be in as a business owner. You must be in. Well, you must make money. You don't have to be in the business to make money. If you wanted to make money, and that's all you do. Henry Ford has this quote that's like, you know, if a business only makes money, it's a really poor business. You know, it's not about the the money. Mm-hmm. It's about the thing that the money enables you to do. Yeah. And I think that that's a really necessary component and you can make a good living as a board game publisher only if you are charging the right price for the, the, the value you're providing. Mm-hmm. And I think that for me, what I decided to do was originally I was like, Hey, we're going to charge $89 for deliverance. We're going to charge $89 for deliverance at retail. And so the, the question that I had to answer, which actually bumped to 99, because of all the extra charges on, on, you know, because of 2020. So that all of that, that equation was like, if I can make it make sense for a backer to like, why shall I back now then instead of waiting for retail? That's the kind of the major question you need to answer. Yeah. But you know, for me, I, I was like, you know, the, the price, a $10 difference at from 89 or, you know, whatever, $79 discounted to $89 is not something that is going to cause somebody to now not back. If, if it was a $89 product for $79, it's the same, pretty much the same in, in the backer's mind. If it was a $49 product versus a $50 product, that's different. But you generally have these, these benchmarks in, in buyer's minds. You know, anything under 20 bucks is, you know, no problem. Then you've got like $40 and $49 or $39 and $49. And then you've got $99. And then it's like, you know, $200 or $149, right? So anyway, the my thought is that, if I want to please backers and I want to wow them, then the quality of the product is what's going to do that, not the price. Exactly. The, only, the only thing that will wow them is the quality of the product. And so what we did was we put everything into designing the game to be a work of art at every single corner and in, in every every space of the game, including the way that it's stored. And so that the box opening is like a joy on its own so that it, you may not play the game for three years. Like I've got Kickstarters on my to my left that that I've delivered that have not that have not even opened because you know I haven't had time. And then another Kickstarter came in or whatever. But I wanted people to open the deliverance box because it was a work of art and they just wanted to look at it. And so that extra ten dollars that I charged for you know was was fair, but also it gave me the resources to be able to do that. Of course. Well, I know that one thing Marco Picota did because um, I. I I can appreciate people wanting to make things affordable for backers who have different price points that they are able to jump in at. One thing he did is that he designed his, his game to sort of 
have all these attachments that increases the price. So you can get in the, the very basic level, which is like the book, or you can get the book and, and the, the standees and you get the book and the miniature. So he, he had these systems. You can get the kind of core game at a cheap price, but if you want the glitz and glamour, then that, that those options are available as well. So I think that's a better way to do it while, rather than just trying to discount your game is create options for people that can get in at a lower level. And I think that's really done at the game design level. You've got to sort of design the game with, kind of attachments in mind yeah marco was great too we actually did his fulfillments as well <laughs> awesome. um he he as you said he had the book and then he had the, the box and then he had the deluxe so you had like the whole level and then he had a master level and it was it was it was great because you could you could build it up from any level there and you could buy the miniatures as needed but you didn't need miniatures because you had the standees which is what andrew did as well i think right because you had the standees and then you have the miniatures. Um, yeah yeah it's it's the best way of doing it is given that given the option but not not um compromise on price as you said um and, and make it up in value like product value it's what simon's known for right simon mm-hmm. charges 125 150 dollars but no one ever questions that because the quantity and the value that you get in a box in a zombicide or a, a rising sun or whatever they have you know it's a high quality and the problem simon did was simon going back to earlier of on on realistic expectations for years subsidized their shipping Mm-hmm. And now, did you see what I think it was White Death? Was it White Death? Or was the, it? The one oh, that I remember oh, was like a Marvel. It was the Marvel, Marvel Zombicide. Marvel Zombicide, oh, yeah. They charge what it would really cost to ship. Mm-hmm. And yep. people lost their minds. It's like $189 for, for some of their pledges for yeah. shipping alone. But you look so I, I bought about 100 Galactuses, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> because I'm an idiot. It's like a two and a half foot tall mini. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, it's a twenty a pound box. I think it's like nineteen and a half pounds, and I want to say it's like twenty four by twenty four by twenty two, right? So it's two yeah. foot by two foot by two foot. That's volumetrically. That's you. That's like a lawn gnome. Yeah, like a lawn gnome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's cool. He's cool. I, he's not a hundred Galactus. Is cool, which I wish I hadn't done that many. Um, so if anybody wants to buy a Galactus, hit me up. Uh, <laughs> you're selling them out of your trunk. Yeah, I don't have it. I wish you put my drum. But you know, they charge like to get that Galactus in the game and all the all in. I want to see it was like $250, $300 maybe, right? Mm-hmm. That's close to once once you factor in all the you know, maybe they bumped up a little bit, but you know, that's kind of the realistic cost. And that's another thing to consider as well when you're making your game and everything you add adds to the cost of shipping. You know, mm-hmm. we have a project. Well, your project was one actually, FEMA. Yep. No, FEMA. And How are we going to ship that? Right. Yeah, we're gonna ship that. It's like, oh, and, and it kills me because sometimes they come in a beautiful tube. You know, we did your game, we did Solar One Seventy Five. The game came in a gorgeous tube on its own. We're doing Witchwood for Lucky Duck right now for Matt in a gorgeous tube. I just had the conversations like, if I ship this tube, it's an extra box. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you want to do? And the same thing, it's 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 folded up neatly, and you know, it's like we have experience folding hasn't damaged it. It's safe on the shipping. Yeah, um, but some want to ship an extra tube because like, oh, I want to make sure to get it pristine. Like, okay, well, you're adding another like 40% in shipping charges here. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, actually that, that's something that I, I talked to Chris Birch of Modifius. He's one of our clients and he's just super awesome. He's awesome human, first of all. And they ship a lot of neoprene mats and, mm-hmm. you know, for their games. So I just asked him like, Hey, how do you ship these? Because I'm thinking about, you know, I, I have a neoprene mat and I'm concerned about that weird shaped tube. A lot of, you know, from what I had heard at the time, you needed to put a round, it was a, a cylindrical tube that you needed to put in like a square box because somebody is, it's just like difficult to transport otherwise. And I've seen, I've seen packages arrive in cylindrical tubes, but it's a strange 
shape that is rather expensive to ship. And so he said, well, we actually fold them. So we, we, we keep them flat or, or like for us, I think it came like rolled up in a, in a, like a plastic bag or something. Yeah. Yours are just in a plastic bag. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so my plan, actually, what I decided to do was I decided to make my neoprene mats thicker in the factory. So it was like, I, I asked for quotes at two millimeters, two and a half millimeters. I've seen people like Chip Theory Games does three millimeters thick for their premium, you know, uh, components or whatever. There are, there's also other types of material that is quite thin that like Battletech will use. Catalyst Game Labs does uh, like really thin mats that are of a slightly different type of neoprene i guess what my thought was was if they come in flat or or rolled then we ship them at the you know the last mile and they sit for a week in about in the box in in like this folded shape they will not really develop creases if they're thick enough yeah they'll the creases will come right out and or or won't exist in you know to begin with and so i um that was a decision I made at the manufacturing level that I will ship these folded and had really worked out for us. All our backers got it. There was one backer that complained because actually it, interestingly enough, only one complained because it was folded, but they didn't complain because it didn't work and the creases came, didn't come out or whatever. It was just that folding it had a bad connotation in their mind because of the, you know, thin neoprene mats that get folded that have a permanent crease, you know? Yeah. So I, 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 that was a huge win for us folding the neoprene mat at the last moment. Took you guys more time probably. Uh, you know, not honestly, not a lot because once you know, once you have a plan, right. The, the, the longest time that took was like, say you're, you're putting your game in a box and we're putting it in a 14 by 14 by eight, 14 by 14, six or eight. I think it was six for you. Well, knowing that we're going to fold it, then up that to an eight, to a fourteen by eight or a fourteen by ten, right? It just changes the box size. So it's something that has to be decided beforehand, so you can you can properly plan what you're going to pack it in. Otherwise, you're going to put in a, a four by four by thirty. The time to fold it and put it in is no more than the time to build another box and tape it up and put it in, get a label, and actually less, to be honest, I'd say. Yeah, it's just making yeah. sure it's that last thing you do, as you said, because you want it to be not sitting folded for a long time, especially if it's like a thinner material. Yep. Is there anything else in regard to shipping that you want people to know? Um, maybe when a situation doesn't go so smoothly, sometimes it's just out of your control as a shipper. You know, the container doesn't arrive on time. There's damage in the container. There's mildew or whatever, you know, all the things outside of your control. But what things in particular, maybe even like the relationship that, that you and I had on Slack, like how shall a publisher communicate with you? What should a publisher be asking? Uh, what types of things have led to, you know, errors and issues, you know, working with publishers that could have been resolved? Um, on our side or their side or both sides? All the things, you know, the whatever's relevant to you. On, you on their side, on the publisher's side, it's getting a, a realistic line of communication. When is this coming? What's coming in it? product ASN weights dimensions and customs customs codes is, is important and also their desired expectation of shipping if if I ship for you and you don't tell me what it's, it's going to be then we're going to ship it uh, on the system as cheap as four day right because we want to save you the cost that is FedEx ground you typically USPS priority or ground advantage now since they have that uh, but if you decide hey I want to ship by UPS then you need to tell us beforehand, not when we've already printed the 100, 200 labels of product. 
that's kind of on, on, a, on a publisher side what they can do for us if we can I'm trying to think is there anything else really mostly it's 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 on on a front backer it's it's recognizing that we're partners publicly right Real, realizing don't throw the don't throw the logistics hub underneath the bus until you have the information right because as you said sometimes containers are late sometimes whatever can go wrong but don't say it's it's our fault until you know it's our fault on our side sometimes things go wrong you know we had a project once it was received and it was four or five SKUs, a couple of different uh, and one of them was coins guy received the pallet or the container whatever happened he didn't write the right amount okay so we were short on coins um so we didn't so say it was i can't remember exactly, say it was two thousand coins we received 1500 coins but we wrote 2,000 coins. I'm, I'm going to be open. This, this, is, this is a mess up we made. We didn't, because he wrote 2,000, no one questioned it till it was time to get to that portion of the batch. So we're batching, batching, batching. And the error we made was, our fulfillment manager at the time, he does, he's not with us anymore, printed the batch, then went to get the product. And went, hey, we don't have the product, but I've printed 300 orders. 300 people got tracking orders. And now you want to talk in a case where it stuff sits for a week or two. Can't ship. We don't have the coins. We're going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Finally get in touch with the publisher. And the publisher goes, oh, yeah, we know where it is. It's sitting on a dock in China. Uh. <laughs> so, they, the, so it was a case where the manufacturer had messed up, had shortest 25% of the product. And, and that's one road where the, the publisher knew quickly but never told us. Mm. But it became our mistake because when we, if we had counted it and counted correctly at the start, we would have been like, hey, we're short 25. And because we didn't count correctly and we didn't follow due process at, in that time, it, it was our error. What we did was we actually air freighted. We, uh, we, if, uh, if you've ever air freighted anything, I want to say it cost me two and a half grand to get it air freighted to not, not have those batches sitting, not have mm -hmm. them those going get those coins but that's something we want to want to make sure like as i think i said at the very beginning we want to make sure we're always trying to communicate sometimes communication is not there because we have grown exponentially but trying to make it that we will fix problems as they come up at, at sometimes a great monetary expense i mean it's twenty five hundred dollars not the snip out to get 500 coins out there you know? yeah. five dollars a coin just to get it in a week and we finished out that project it was it was it was good and again that that was one where that project had a higher margin i think that that because of that we we chose that project our error rate was 10 percent on that mm -hmm. project, which is astronomically bad heads rolled there was inquisitions of what happened why this happened processes changed not counting the coin issue our error rate before that was 0.2 percent mm -hmm. <laughs> so yep. Very, very frustrating. Uh, but so that's what we want to know on our end. Like we, as I said earlier, we logistics companies make mistakes. Sometimes stuff goes wrong. Sometimes we don't have control of it. Sometimes we do mess it up. Uh, and then just mm -hmm. making sure the publisher is aware that we want, we, it's a partnership. We want to fix it. We're not trying to steal your money and run away. You're not trying to steal the consumer's money and run away. So everyone needs to be very aware of that. I think that the, so there's a way that I conduct business uh, myself, which is I, when I meet someone, I ascribe about 90% of the trust that I can possibly have for that person in that moment. It's, it might be a little too much. I'm but, not, um, I'm the same. I, we have a new a guy we just hired and I met him for two seconds. I shook his hand and I went, hey, that guy's got a great handshake. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs> so, yeah. I always bring those guys to Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I'm like, all right, you got to come to Jitsu with me this week. But uh, yeah, so I, I feel like, you know, as long as you're not taking my children and watching them 
or you know t- taking a precious thing then I, I ascribe a lot of trust and so for you guys obviously you have a professional reputation you were prepared to do this and everything like that and i am a first time creator that has never done this before so there you know in a lot of ways you know with with like our first time marketing clients they need to trust us mm-hmm. in order to like they they can't understand all of the things very few of them do um, but they need to trust that we have their best interest at heart and that we won't, you know, do pull any fast ones or whatever that they, things that they aren't aware of. And yeah. so that was the, that's always the way that I approach when I don't understand something. It's like, I have to trust somebody. So I'll do all the research I can, but then in the end, it comes down to, do I trust this person or not? Am I willing to place trust in this company? And so um, for you guys, what I tried to do when something went wrong or, whatever, like we had one, I think one backer was like, oh, I ordered a second set of metal coins. It didn't come or whatever. I, I let you guys know about it. I, I, I wrote up like a short thing. It's like, I think this might be a bridge packing error. What is the process with something like this? And then I just, you know, moved on to the next thing. And it wasn't like me, me expecting like, oh, you guys are going to pay for this, right? Like I didn't, I, I didn't approach it like that because I trusted that you guys have my best interest at, at heart and whatever way it's resolved is going to be in, you know, in the best interest of making sure the entire project is done smoothly and that we have a long-term successful partnership and, and all of that. So I always try to approach with like a, a very, like a childlike mindset of like, okay, uh, this happened. What, what can we do about it? Like, what is the process, you know? And I don't know how, if that is, uh, like, do you want others to approach with the same? Oh yeah. 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 Definitely approach with an open, like this, this is an open thing we're working on, uh, together. And, and this is a a full on partnership. Uh, that's, that's definitely how we want to do it. That there is nothing, nothing is to be hidden. Nothing is, everything is, is a hundred percent visibility. Um, so we want from you and you need it from us. Yep. Don't want to burn your bridge. Yeah. <laughs> See what I did there? I know I'm a dad. Uh, we're all dads, so it was okay that nobody laughed. Yeah. <laughs> it's all water under the bridge. Yeah, yeah. So distribution can be pretty challenging uh, for publishers, especially if it's your first time project. We we have had clients who have essentially had t- too much stock out of distribution. So when they go to sell their own product after their Kickstarter, they're being undercut by everyone else. So it's, it's almost like you, you've kind of ruined by success. What tips would you have for people who are thinking about selling to distributions? What should they do? What they shouldn't do? Yeah, I'm, I'm actually in this boat in particular right now. I'm like, the advice that you give is probably the advice that I'll follow. Because <laughs> we have what, 2000 games in stock right now? No pressure. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, it's 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 a hard one, right? So we do distribution as bridge, but it's it's kind of a, a tertiary add-on that we have uh, a bonus right in our main focus. One of the things with distribution is it's something you need to decide if you want to do at the very start or end of your product, or very start your product before you do it because it is going to gear up your product runs, um, and obviously your product run is going to change the price that you are charging, or the, or sorry, the, the price the manufacturer is going to cost. Um, so it has to be a decision you're going to make at the very front. I'll go through the benefits, right? The first big benefit, a lot of retailers or a lot of publishers don't like retail, right? They, because as you said, they worry that retail will undercut them. They worry that they're not going to make any money. The big thing with retail is 
and especially on your first Kickstarter, is a fantastic marketing expense, right? If you don't plan to make any money, sell to your retailers, you know, they're going to want 50% off. Um, distribution can be kind of the same, right? If you have a $100 game, a distributor is going to buy it at $40 off you, sell to retailer for 50 55 That's typically going to be the margins. So if your game costs $10, $20, you know, you're, 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 you're losing that $50, $60, $60 off the top. But what you are getting is a level of volume, right? So you have to decide, do I want to have high volume, get into mass, get into all these different things? And if you do that, there has to be an expectation that your value, some retailers, online sellers are going to undercut you at 15, 20%, right? It's just, it's going to happen. The retail stores, you know, you, you, you've seen them online. <laughs> they're, they're, they're UVP, their unique value uh, proposition is that they are cheap. Right? They don't have customer service, they don't have staff, they don't have anything, they're just cheap. But they're not everywhere, right? And that's the thing to be aware. It's just like when you have those 10 or 12 complaints on a Kickstarter, it's the most vocal, it's the most visible, but it's not the majority. So even though you might see, I'll say, a gaming coach, right? Who's known as a, as a discount or discountgames.com, CSI, Miniature Market, right? All these guys, they all sell 20% off. There is eight, nine, ten thousand 10,000 retail stores in the country. That will sell a full MSRP. My retail store, I sell a full MSRP all day, every day, right? I, I might run a sale, right? Or I might close out a product. But if I have deliverance on my shelf, because I backed your Kickstarter, and I have a $100 game, I think the bundle is $200. So the bundle might be slightly discounted because you're buying everything at once. Mm-hmm. But the core game is. I say it's like 189 or so. Or so. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Well, maybe I'm overcharging for it. No, 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 you're <laughs> right. You're right. It's like It's like 197. Yeah, so it might not be. It might just be a chance oh, to get all the extra pieces then that, that might not be available. So wanting to be reassuring, the reassuring part is of what you see that is discounting, there are so many more that are, are selling at MSRP, selling at full price, marketing your game and getting your name, your brand out there, right? So it's a very, very important aspect. As to fighting that discounting, your biggest culprit is going to be Amazon, right? So Amazon is going to go on. Amazon is a marketplace. Anyone can sell. You can sell. I can sell. You know, Jimmy down the road can sell. It doesn't matter. And eBay, but eBay not so much because eBay is known as a, is still brand on eBay is secondhand, right? Even though so many stuff on eBay is sold new, like I sell on eBay as a retailer. Again, I sell a new product, but I sell it. I, I sell Kickstarter, so I either sell MSRP or market price. But Amazon has bred uh, the idea of fast and cheap, and people buy into it not knowing that. The second you discount more than 15, 20% on Amazon, you're actually losing money. You, you will lose money on Amazon once you discount more than 20%. People don't get that. Yeah. So they're going to charge you like 25% of the, the yeah. sales prices. Yeah, there are other fees. And charge you to ship the product to them. Yeah. So if you don't think about that, the, the cost of getting a UPS label to ship or a FedEx label or whatever. So the best way to fight is to not worry as much about your CSIs, your management market, right? They're your volume, they're getting your name out there. Um, you know, once they run out, People will go into their local stores or find their local stores. A lot of people just have loyalty, right? They want to support the local store. Amazon is your big problem, right, for deep discounting. And then, like, if you start going to mass, like the Target and stuff, that's a whole other fish to talk about when you're going into mass. That's 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 a different monster that is is not fantastic. Mm-hmm. The way to get around Amazon is to gate your product. You can actually brand register on Amazon as a as person. So if you have an IP uh, a trademark company, you can go to brandregistry.com, register your brand. Register your product, register your, your UPC. You have to obviously have like, you know, a valid UPC, valid name, valid company name, and you can actually gate the product that only you can give approval on Amazon, right? 
So Andrew, you can go, I want to sell deliverance on Amazon. I have the listing. Mm-hmm. And I go, hey, Andrew, can I sell on Amazon? You can go, no, get lost. Yeah. <laughs> or you can be like, okay, yeah, sure, you can, and you can give me approval. And then, but if I start deep discounting, you go, uh, uh, no, take away that approval. Yeah. I've updated this a few years ago, right? And they hurled it as this is going to fix everything because Asmodee was known for companies, people selling at 30% off and stuff. Mm-hmm. So Asmodee actually did that and they went, only we will sell on Amazon. Uh, only Amazon, we will sell directly to Amazon and we will sell on Amazon and nobody else can can sell. And for me, it, it hurt a lot. I lost, uh, like I, was, I sold a lot on Amazon and I think I took like a 60% revenue bit on my mm-hmm. online sales. Uh, because I was so heavy on Asmodee products. So this was during 2020 as well. And there was also supply chain issues. Um, so that led to some of that drop. Sadly, Amazon didn't fix, uh, uh, that didn't fix the problem because they didn't lock off Amazon themselves. Uh-huh. <laughs> we went deep down, uh, but no one to fight. So that's, with deep discounting, it is it is not great. You also have the power to pick and choose who you want. You you actually, I think, mentioned that, hey, can I choose who to sell to? Yeah, you, can, you definitely can. Some of my publishers have lists of do not sell. Do not sell to this person, this company. We don't, they don't fit our brand. They don't fit our image. You know, if you're selling a game of, you know, spiritual warfare, do you want someone whose, whose logo is like devil horns or something like that? Probably not. Right. You know what I mean, um, I feel like it's on, on brand, like the satanic temple. If y'all want to buy deliverance, then I will sell it to you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so but you have the power to say no as well. And that's a very powerful thing that you can choose, pick and choose with distributor. And you can be very open with distributor. Like we say, tell us, you know, if you want to, we, we'll sell, we sell to anyone. Well, there's like, three stores we actually just don't do business with ourselves. Um, and then we have a couple of publishers who have a list that we can't sell their products to, but we have no issue otherwise. And you just tell us, hey, I don't want to sell to these guys. I don't want to sell to these guys. You say, I don't want to sell to online retailers at all. We go, hey, sorry, I can't sell this to you. Um, and that's fine. And we and that's a discussion we have with you because you know, I think we probably did have a discussion. Hey, do you want to go to this Do you want us to represent you on Amazon? Do you want this sort of stuff? If I'm honest, my personal preference is you should do it anyway. You should be selling directly to stores. You should be directly to retailers and we can fulfill for you. We offer distribution at Bridge as a side. It's not our main focus because I would rather fulfill I would rather you sell directly to uh, GTS or Alliance. I can do it, but I would rather you do it because you make more money. I make less stress. Uh, <laughs> or yeah. I, receive less, I receive less stress um, and, and the wheels still turn. And same thing, if you're selling to Little Shop of Magic in Las Vegas, he's a very, very good friend of mine, and he's a fantastic retailer, I can sell to him, and I'll sell to John at, at 45 50%, and I'll buy from you at 60%, and, you know, I get my 10, 15 basis points, or I can just say, hey, Andrew, here's his contact, you sell direct, and I'll fulfill your orders, and you're getting that extra percentage. Mm-hmm. Or, or you set up those relationships, and you sell to your site, and it just feeds through into the software, and we just ship it automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely wouldn't cut off distribution, but as you said, there is, de- and, but there is definitely options and, to manage it. It's just how much work you want to put into managing it as well, right? And how much of your brand you want to take control of. I had a conversation recently with, with a, a new publisher who was asking, hey, this company wants to publish my game, but I'm really worried about how much control I will lose and will they go in and to Asmodee and, and stuff like that and, and then I lose all my brand. And it's the same thing. It's like, how much do you want to do? How much, what is your long-term plan? When you, when you launched your Kickstarter, did you consider distribution? Did you consider your second game? Did you consider your brand five years down the road? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the thing as a new person going into it that you want to, you want to kind of think about at the very start. Hope that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it does. I think you need to use distribution. I personally need to just use distribution as another weapon in your arsenal, another, another marketing factor, another way to get your name out there. 
Um, but I don't think it should be the only thing you do. Like I think even if you still want to go, hey, I want to sell to GTS Alliance, Asmodee, whoever, you should still be selling directly yourself. Still be selling on the likes of sites like fair.com, you know, selling true retailers, distro. You know, why why limit yourself in all of it? it mm-hmm. You just have to be very upfront and, and straight about what your plans are. Like you look at, um, I think Wingspan does it now, Stonemire. Mm-hmm. He has a, a map, but he also doesn't let you sell on Amazon. So you can actually just lock off Amazon sales. And he's he's exclusive. I want to say he's exclusive to he only sells directly or to GPS, I think. So he's limited his distributors, which allows him to limit who's getting the product, where it's going. He can control he has a, a paper trail basically. And then he limits the sales on Amazon. So if he says you can't sell on Amazon, and then uh, it's in your terms that you sent to the distributor which is in term sent to the retailer. And then that game pops up on Amazon instead of it being, Hey, which distributor sold this game or where did it come from? He can go straight to GTS and go, Hey, these people are selling on Amazon. What are they doing? And the public distributor set goes to them and goes, Hey, take it off. Or we have to like cut you off and it controls the market, but it doesn't cut it off. It doesn't, it doesn't restrict the entire market. That's really interesting. And it kind of gives us a, as a, as a publisher, it gives us some focus, what you had shared, so it seems like Amazon is the primary. I mean, 80% of all e-commerce searches begin on Amazon now. But and, that's the problem. And mainly the problem is the perception that Amazon has created that they are cheap and fast. Right. And they ignore it. They're very good at, at, at hiding the fact that Amazon.com loses money. Right? right. It is a lot leader for web services and all the other stuff. Uh, but do, but one, the regular consumer doesn't care. Right? It's not that they don't know. They Probably most don't know, but also... 99% don't care, right? Yeah. Who is you? Like, you know, I, I just bought some uh, uh, gummy snakes from Ireland like the other day and they arrived in three days. So, you know, like, <laughs> the way across the Atlantic in three days. Uh, spend $25, get free shipping. Get free and, you know, it was, it was. I want to say the whole thing was like 37 you, uh, But they're also $37, but it was free shipping from Ireland. So. Wow. But, it, but that's not realistic. It's not a realistic thing. So you as a publisher going into distribution, again, going back to that fulfillment of having unrealistic expectations and, and, and hedging those expectations of people is be very clear and upfront with distribution. This is what I want. So if I say, hey, I want to distribute your game to retailers, you go, David, I want a map of 10%. I don't want to sell to online retailers. No Amazon sales. Do not sell to these stores. And I go, okay. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very easy. easy fight. Or you just say, I, I don't want to. <laughs> Yeah. I want to handle it directly because we work with a lot of co- publishers who literally, you know, I have thousands of their game in my warehouse. And I've said to them, hey, can I distribute your product? Do you want it? You want to add it? Like, no, we handle it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's that's perfectly fine as well. Yeah. And and to be clear, you also have an FBA prep company. So you you have a um so can you you can like take the pictures, get the product information yep. set yep. up and that yeah, be, we, right? we can create we can create the listings for you. Um, one issue with creating listings, a lot of people don't know, and this happened with again. I have a lot of anecdotes about things that have happened with publishers. This happened with a publisher who moved to us from Fun Again. Uh, Fun Again created their listing, got it all set up, and then closed, and they came to us. When you create a listing on Amazon, this is why it's important to own your listing. Whoever creates the listing owns the listing for perpetuity. It doesn't matter if. If I create a listing on Amazon for deliverance and then you go in, it's very hard for you to take it off me unless you fully brand register and go through a lot of stuff. The other thing is the brand name you put on the game, uh, on the website, is the brand name that shows up on searches. 
So we publish games under Gigamet Games. If you look up Four Northwood, Orchard, McKee, even though those games are developed by Sidroom Games, which is a fantastic game developer, and he, he runs the Kickstarters and he launches them, you look at that game on Amazon, it says Gigamet Games, Four Northwood, mm-hmm. Gigamet Games, Orchard. Because Fun Again did create a listing for this publisher, the first two words on that listing are Fun Again Distribution. Mm. And he can't get it off. He can't get it off because he hasn't brand registered. And it's such a big, painful thing. So it's very, very important that you, you, we can help you do it, but then you have to be like, okay, well, what brand do you want? And then I can only list under Loan Games uh, if you give me approval to create the brand as Loan Games. And mm-hmm. then say Loan Games, Deliverance, and so on. So yeah. Just a few things that be very upfront and, and, and converse with before you, you do that. But yeah, we do Amazon prep. Like we do all the labeling, bundling, stickering, sending it to Amazon, and and handle it from A to Z in that way as well. Because we've done that's that's what we've done for years. That's awesome. I guess we can kind of come in for a landing here. <laughs> um, and the the question, the last question that I have for you is, how can people reach out to you how, if if there are publishers that want you to quote them on pricing and yeah. shipping and whatnot, fulfilling their Kickstarter or yeah. or other. You know, yeah, they can, they can, they can read best way to do it is our emails info at bridge disc.com. So they can go to bridge disc, B R I D G E D I S T.com. It's our website. And you can link there to info at bridge disc.com. And they can contact us for looking for quotes. One thing I want to point out that bridge does different to pretty much, I think every other publisher is we personally quote each product. So we don't have set pricing. So it's not going to be like this. It's twenty dollars up to four pounds. That's not, that's not how it is. Uh, and as you probably found, we we will quote up to a certain estimate, and then we reconcile at the end uh, mm-hmm. as there's extra orders come in. Because I think your project had four or five hundred extra orders, if I remember correctly, at the end of it. Yeah. Um, but at the start, we estimated, hey, you have this many. It's going to be twenty pound boxes. It costs this much. But these orders are fifteen pound boxes. Same thing. We got two two boxes in this shipment, etc. So we actually sit down with everybody and we quote each white glove concierge service of quoting your product. <laughs> and that's the time to have that conversation. How much bubble wrap do you want to use, right? Do you want to use this much bubble wrap? Or do you want to use this much bubble wrap? Because that changes the cost of your shipping. You know, do you want thin boxes or double line corrugated boxes? Um, changes the cost of your shipping and it's completely unnecessary if you ask me. <laughs> so sorry, it is. I have, I have someone who wants to do that. They want to do, they want to do triple bubble and then double line boxes. And I'm like, you're, your material alone is going to be like ten dollars. Why would you wow. do this? <laughs> um, and and you're, you're, but they had never made a game before, right? So they never made a game before. Like, well, I want to make sure the game is safe. I'm like, well, let's double layer your bubbles. You'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be okay. It'll cost you two dollars instead of ten dollars. But yeah, those two website bridgedisc.com and then info at bridgedisc. We also go to every convention. You know, one thing we didn't talk about: we do convention representation, so we sell uh, conventions. We also offer you demo spaces at. at shows that we uh, vend at um so cool. if you're ever going to be at or like so pax unplugged is coming up we have a boot at pax unplugged so people can come up to us and meet us in person i hope to be there myself i usually go to i usually go to gamma expo and then typically i either go to origins or gen con uh well mm-hmm. I go to origins. this year i didn't go to origins i went to gen con um it was my first gen con it was, it was eye-opening uh, and then Pax Unplugged, I hope you meet her this year. But we go to a lot of conventions around where people can come up and talk to us and meet the team. Like you said, you meet Matt, right? Matt goes to most shows because me and him are the first steps in working with Bridge usually. And then we move on to our accounts teams. So we're, we're pretty great. 
That's awesome. Well, uh, you know, it's really been a pleasure having you on and, and thanks for all of the, the, the breadth of knowledge that you shared. It's just been really enlightening and eye-opening and I hope that our, our listeners found it valuable because I sure did. Yeah, I hope it made sense. <laughs> I, I always preface that at the end. I hope it made sense and I hope you understood what I said because, you know, accent. Uh, it probably got I feel like done. Irish, like certain types of Irish accents, like the more, the closer you get out to the sheep herders of Ireland, yeah. <laughs> the less clear it is. But I feel like Irish and then certain, you know, you know, uh, British accents are much easier to understand than even American accents. So let's have Robot Richard send us out. Well, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. For more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy.